Wandering Journo at Stories That Matter Studios. I'm Nance Haxton, and this is The Streets of Your Town. The podcast that takes you on an audio journey through theatre of the mind, highlighting a different slice of Australian life each episode. He started by making his renowned Mugu in a saucepan in a tiny two-bedroom apartment. Now Craig Jones is defying negative talk about the demise of Australian manufacturing and even the doubts of his own father by running a company producing more than 40 all-natural skincare products, all made in Australia. Mugu now exports to countries around the world and has a growing employment base. In this Streets of Your Town, we hear how he transformed a simple idea to help his mother's psoriasis into a thriving company that applies its environmentally friendly ethos to every aspect of the product chain, including recycling. And if you've ever wondered what's really in that sunscreen that you lather all over your body, Craig Jones tells us on Streets of Your Town how he is leading the charge calling for greater transparency and more rigorous testing of Australian sunscreen products, arguing that consumers deserve to know what is in their sunscreen in the same way they know the ingredients in their food. Craig, welcome to the Streets of Your Town podcast. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Craig, tell us a bit about your journey. I, I see that you've come from Perth to the Gold Coast with your Mugu brand. Can you tell us a bit of where you began? Uh, so I was in Perth as an Air Force pilot. Uh, that's where the training base is. I thought my career would be a pilot. Uh, I had no interest in skincare uh, at all at that stage, but my mother had psoriasis which is a skin condition that makes your, your skin very flaky. And she was using a, a product that they use on cow's udders. Uh, it was a very thick, heavy, pasty cream. And uh, she would need to put glad wrap over, cling wrap over her um, skin so it wouldn't get on her clothes. So I took some home, uh, reformulated it for her. And uh, friends would use it. Uh, I was using it. People would come around with little pots and get it out of the, the kitchen. And then uh, I found I was making more and more, and one thing led to another. And 12 years later, I know a lot about skincare. So you didn't really have a background in skincare or science or formulating these things. It really just came from trying to help your mum. Well, the thing about skincare is that easy products are, are really easy to make. Like a, a sorbeline is only four ingredients. It's a, easier than damper, really. Uh, so you can make it in the kitchen very easily. Uh, nowadays, the products are much more complicated, particularly sun, sun creams. Uh, so I have cosmetic chemists that work alongside, but my role basically is to say, look, we can't use that ingredient. We need to find a different ingredient. Uh, I want it to do this. And then the, the chemists uh, adjust to, to our ingredient philosophy. So tell us a bit about that. How did it evolve from, from this product you were giving away to friends or to, to, to help relieve the, your mum? And, and psoriasis is such a nasty condition in many ways. It's so hard to relieve unless you find the right product. How did you end up going into that full time from being a pilot? Well, skin conditions are, you're right about skin conditions. Uh, people think, oh, you know, it's just a skin condition, but your skin is your the way you present yourself to the world so if you've got psoriasis and let's say my mum was a beautiful lady back in the day and then she has all flaky skin you know it really affects them a lot uh, and psoriasis has no cure by the way so i'm not claiming to cure it i was making a lot of it and i thought well this will sell well in a shop and so i put it into a bottle 
that looked terrible, uh, had a terrible name, Mugu, uh, because it wasn't really serious back then. And it came from because the original cream she was using it was for cows, wasn't it? Yeah, and my mother was one of those country aristocracy type of ladies that are more proper than, you know, virtually anyone. And udder cream to her was crass. So she would, her nickname was Mugu. Can you make more Mugu for me? And that's how Mugu came to be. Uh, but when I tried to sell it into the shop with a label that featured up, upside down udders, for example, uh, and the original directions to be used on cows, it didn't sell at all, surprisingly. And then it was um, just a, a matter of getting coached by the owner of the shop, who was a lovely lady, and say, oh, you need to make a brochure. So, ah, oh, I made a brochure. And then the backing stand and, and gradually began to sell. Uh, and then, you know, the shampoo came next because my wife had a really itchy head. She would have to put cling wrap around her head just to be able to sleep at night because it was so itchy. So the shampoo came next. And, you know, uh, gradually by trying to improve things each year, it just grew. But I had no idea at all I would be in this position. Yeah. It kind of shows how a things can evolve I think you know sometimes we're all wanting to find that dream business of what we can do what we're meant to be doing in the world but it shows yours really grew quite organically ironically as well as your ingredients didn't it I mean you know sometimes that path can just evolve before us yeah it can as I said I had no particular interest in skincare at the time now that I make it and I see what's in different products I have a big interest but people will often ask you know I want to have a business I just don't know what to do but really it's I I think it's just a matter of starting with something even if it's stupid like uh, Mugu was Uh, I remember my father just just rolling his eyes Uh, he thought I was going to be an Air Force pilot then a Qantas pilot and all of that it's like yeah, cosmetics uh, why would you but it's very competitive market very very competitive and particularly with multinationals and models and and various things but the organic growth I I just think try something Uh, if your friends like it you can make really a business out of it as long as you can convince your friends that they would actually pay money for it I think that's a good start and then just continue to try and improve now here we are at your Gold Coast factory how many people are you employing I see you're exporting to like seven different countries so we have 40 people directly on our payroll uh, and then we have uh, lots of subcontractors that uh, make the product according to our ingredients and um, so probably I would be guessing maybe a hundred people work for Mugu. So did you ever imagine that that would be where this would evolve to? No but it's good because I'm the person that employs these people so they have to pretend to like me for a start uh, and so that's the good thing about coming to work is everybody's nice to you when, you, when you're the boss but I do think you know in return you have to develop a culture where you know, hopefully you saw just by walking around, everybody's pretty happy, uh, well taken care of, they don't feel they're being exploited. You know, it's a good place to work and the business is usually successful. That's what, that was an important part of your business as well, as well as the actual product itself was that, that culture, the ethos behind it. Yeah, very much so, because I felt in my previous job that uh, I was just a number being used until I got sort of too old and then be shuffled off, you know, and I just think people, Everybody has something they, they need to fulfill within themselves. And work for a lot of people is that. Like, uh, there's a lot of people, including myself, I think, that work is part of who you are. That even if you had the money not to work, you want to work uh, or you want to do something. And that's what uh, a workplace should be. They should feel, even if they're just packing boxes, you know, that at least they're respected and, and they're appreciated. So, yeah, it is really important. And then, then when I come to work, it feels better for me as well. So uh, tell us a bit about the Mugu products. You've really targeted that group of people who are looking for quite a natural product. 
No, there's millions of natural products out there. I think the problem is that natural products have overpromised too much, and you know, and have got to a almost ludicrous point where you know uh, my cream is made by fairies in Switzerland stomping on you know strawberries, uh, which is not true. And people have lost a little bit, bit of confidence, and I think there's a bit of pushback towards synthetic products a little bit. But what our market is people that want to use something healthy, want to use something that's good for the environment because natural products are generally better for the environment, uh, but don't want to be taken for suckers. That would be, uh, so they want something that works and, and they're happy with. And if they made it at home themselves, if they had the time, this is probably how they would make it. So I'd say that's our market, not just people that want natural. Mm. Yeah. And have you had to overcome some cynicism in the community about natural products as well? Was there some skepticism that this could really work? Yeah, particularly in the medical profession, really. I mean, it doesn't help that it's called Mugu to start with. You can't, a, a doctor will sound silly just even suggesting that. But we do have a big support now amongst doctors and medical professionals, which is good. Not all, of course, but particularly in oncology. So when people are getting cancer treatment, there's a lot of skin problems following that. Normally, they've been putting on basically sorbolene. So a lot of people have been putting on Mugu instead for eczema. You know, even my friends and relatives will go to a doctor and uh, they'll say, oh, I went to a doctor and he mentioned Mugu because they mentioned that back to me. So, yeah, we do get a lot of support, which is surprising because, yeah, not only is it called Mugu, it, it's like colourful and it's up against sort of blue and white labelled, uh, you know, derma, dermoderm, dermoderm, uh, dermoderm, uh, you know, and, and so it doesn't sound medical. But, yeah, we, we do get a lot of support. And that's, I think due to word of mouth which a lot of word of mouth yeah, so yeah. it's really and that reflects that ethos again i suppose getting people to to reflect their genuine appreciation for the product yeah i think so we don't have really a marketing budget so if you're up against a multinational that's got millions of dollars you've got to find a different way uh, and one different way is to have a product that works and then encourage people to talk about it uh, that's sort of like guerrilla marketing i guess and you've gone into different products now as well. It's not just the skincare. I see that you've gone into sunscreens as well. What was really your motivation moving into that? Mainly that I learned about sunscreen. When I was uh, younger, I would put on slather on sunscreen because I was kite surfing and surfing. And I was still getting burnt. And also I was getting lots of brown pigmentation underneath my skin, you know, the uh, liver spots type thing as well. And then I learned about sunscreen. And I learned that, in my opinion, Australia doesn't have the best sunscreen. We do have some good sunscreens, but the majority of the sunscreen sold, in my opinion, I would never wear again. So we developed a type of sunscreen that I wanted to use. So what are the problems with the sunscreen? Well, the big problem with sunscreen in Australia, in my opinion, is that the ingredients, not all the ingredients are shown on the label. So you don't know what you're getting. In Australia, we're the only country I know of that only puts the active ingredients and the preservatives on the label so you can have glycols pegs film formers all type penetration enhancers all types of things in sunscreen that nobody knows about only the manufacturer and the therapeutic goods administration and i think that's responsible for a lot of people reacting to sunscreen and also i think it's responsible for making manufacturers produce cheap sunscreen because they don't have to show the, the ingredients so why would you use a good expensive ingredient if you can have a, a cheap one there instead and nobody knows and hence yours is very zinc based yeah we use a clear zinc based sunscreen the advantage of zinc sunscreen in my opinion is it sits on top of the skin and reflects away uv 
while the, the different type of sunscreen uses UV filters, which they're a synthetic filter that soaks into the skin. It needs penetration enhancers. It needs a lot of different types of ingredients to make it work. So I prefer zinc-based sunscreen, but everybody has a different opinion. And, and sun protection is really, really important. I just think it should be healthy sun protection, not just anything. And toothpaste now as well. Yep, toothpaste because... <laughs> This is a complicated one because the reason we didn't make toothpaste is because I believe toothpaste needed fluoride, which is uh, a remineralizer, remineralizing ingredient. So when, when you get a bit of a scratch in your tooth, uh, unless that's sort of uh, filled in by fluoride, the bacteria can get in there and cause tooth decay. The problem was fluoride didn't agree with our ingredient principles. So we bought out uh, a toothpaste that has an alternative to fluoride uh, called hydroxyapatite. And that's, that's good. But now there's a lot of pushback amongst dental practitioners saying, you've got to have fluoride. You must have fluoride. We, we show them evidence. Hey, hydroxyapatite is just as good. Here's the evidence. No, it must have fluoride. So we are doing uh, a version of our toothpaste with fluoride, but... This is the thing, like, do you know what's in, fluor- in your toothpaste? No. So most people don't. No. They just, it's a minty paste <laughs> and the dentists say I should use it. But there's uh, sodium lauryl sulfate, which is a really harsh cleanser. Uh, saccharin, there's triclosan, which is um, an ingredient that's been banned in soaps and washes in the USA. So banned in soaps, but still in toothpaste. That makes no sense at all to me. I mean, they do say, well, you're not drinking it, but everybody knows. Well, firstly, your mouth is... I mean, you just, it. Well, you just got to drink champagne to find that out. Yeah. You know, it just goes straight to your head. Yeah. Uh, but your mouth does absorb a lot. Mm. Plus you swallow. And if you're a child, uh, you're swallowing a lot. Mm. So in my opinion, they shouldn't be swallowing SLS. They shouldn't be swallowing saccharin, uh, blue lake, which is the coloring that gives it the blue thing. So with our toothpaste, the idea is, okay, dental practitioners, we've got fluoride, but we don't have all of these other things. So please jump in. But I, don't, I still don't think we'll get a lot of support. Dental practitioners are very focused on one particular brand for some reason. It also is an ethos about environmental sustainability that comes through with Mugu. Yeah, not only from me though, but most of the staff we have here are sort of in their 20s. Most people of that age are particularly environmentally focused. And I think just in the last couple of years, you know, it's become alarming, you know, the amount of plastic, global warming and things like that. All of our plastic bottles are made from plastic that would have gone into recycling anyway because you can't use glass and glass is more takes more energy as well you can't use refill pouches because they're not recyclable Uh, and then all of our ingredients obviously biodegradable the creams are made in a six-star environmental estate which means it uses solar it's off-grid water Uh, the buildings are made of recycled material this building you're in is all run by solar so yeah uh, what we're trying to do is make products that have a lot less impact than other products that people might buy, say, from, you know, a supermarket or something like that. So can people come and refill their their plastic bottles? Yep, refill uh, plastic bottles as well. So you can't send a bottle back and be refilled because um, of contamination concerns, but you can bring your own bottle and we can refill it in front of you and then you can take it home. Here at the office? Here at the office and we're going to be... Down the Gold Coast? Yep, and taking it around uh, the various cities as well to do the same. Oh, great. Okay, so that, that, I mean, I imagine that would be a fairly costly exercise and shows your commitment to that principle though it is costly um, surprisingly for example we use all recycled cardboard and paper and that costs more than using virgin paper so yeah recycling does cost a bit more so does the, our plastic bottles cost more even though it's recycled plastic but 
you know, the alternative. It's something I think it's worth spending more money to do. And you've got, you've also got makeup lines and kind of diversified. The makeup line, as you saw when you came through, it's nearly an all female company. Um, so you can guess where the drive for makeup came from. Uh, staff that wanted freebies, I think. But no, the, the makeup was because, yeah, Mugu is for people with sensitive skin anyway. And so the idea of the Dusty Girls makeup is so that people with sensitive skin, their allergies don't get triggered by particular ingredients in makeup. But makeup's a really difficult business to Even harder. Yeah, it is. Because unfortunately, women just aren't buying enough lipstick nowadays. So they, they, they must buy more, just like shampoo. Yeah, well, there's, that, there's a theory, isn't there? It's the economic indicator of the lipsticks, that as the economy goes down, that more people buy more lipsticks. So is Because it it's, it's an affordable luxury. So perhaps it'll turn around, depending yeah, <laughs> how we go well, the next little while. Coincidentally, one of my ancestors had a lipstick business. And when I say answers, that sounds like caveman, no, like <laughs> grandfather on my mother's side. And he said when he started selling lipstick, his lipstick was, it was in um, Switzerland. It was a cheap lipstick, $3 or something, because he thought I can make lipstick more cheap and it didn't sell. And he multiplied the cost by 10 times just overnight. And then it started selling like hotcakes. And now that, that business is called Pentafarm. It's a multi, multi-million dollar cosmetic business. But his advice on lipstick was make it expensive. But we, we don't do, by the way. But uh, yeah, that just shows what the makeup industry can be like. I just find it encouraging. And I think for people who listen to the streets of your town, yeah, just to really trust their instincts with life and with, with their business. Sometimes it that path can really just come before you of where you're meant to be. Yeah, I think so. And it doesn't have to be successful the first time and who knows what success is I was going to ask you that what do you think success is at this point it comes from the ABC originally Um, there's an interviewer that was interviewing people on their deathbed I don't know if you know this one Uh, and he was saying it was called and he wrote a book called A Good Life so his uh, book was asking people what makes a good life and the conclusion to that from speaking to people that are about to die was it's the the people you've got around you, not whether you've got a lot of money, not whether you're more successful than your peers, it's the people that you've got around you and, and how they treat you. So yeah, that that's another, comes back to the workplace, you know, you, I don't want to go into a workplace where I'm, I'm not liked, where I know I'm not liked, uh, but yeah, that, that's success for me. And so the business, yeah, you know, it's got ethical roots, uh, in my opinion, uh, good staff, so that that's a success for me. I was reading about your, your Christmas party being a, a definition of that too, that that was quite a big hit, that everyone was quite happy to go over to South Stradbroke Island, even though it wasn't a, a work day, just to, yeah. to hang out. South Stradbroke Island, even April Fool's Day, uh, April 1st, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, uh, I, I arrived at the car park and there's normally 30 people, 30 cars in the car park and there wasn't a, a person there. And it's like, where is everybody? Is it a public holiday? And it wasn't. Uh, and uh, have I missed a function? Because we're going water skiing on Thursday. Maybe they brought it forward. And then I thought of, there's another pharmacy chain where the, the staff have gone on strike a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, wow, maybe there's a flash strike. They've gone on strike. There was, there was no delivery trucks. And it was the staff here at uh, organised an April Fool's joke where they, they parked the cars around the corner. When, when did you find them? Uh, the, the building was uh, dark. I walked in, put the security code in, and then the, the alarms went off. I was like, that's weird. Uh, and they went up and they are all hiding in the building. So, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a pretty good sign of a fun workplace, yeah, at least. I mean, work is never that much fun that you would do it for free. No, Other- and I remember reading too, you saying that it is a lot of hard work. For the people looking for the easy 
path to millions or uh, to success, it's a lot of hard work. It's yeah, it a bit is of a lot bit. of hard work and a fair bit of stress, but I think it's something you tend to complain about, but you would miss if it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's that's what my working day is like a lot of the time. I'll, I'll whinge and complain about various problems, but ultimately I'm really glad it's here. That's how you should treat work, I think, in general. It is part of who most people are. Yes. Yeah. And it must be rewarding to be able to help people going right back to the beginning, like your mum, who couldn't find products that met their needs, essentially. Do you get feedback? Yeah, we get lots of feedback. You just got to look on our social media, which is good. And you get the occasional complaint as well. But even the people that complain uh, often, so this didn't work for me, but I love your brand. I love the rest of the products. As long as they feel like they've been listened to and understood, then that's one thing. But we get a lot of positive feedback. You know, when I was a pilot in the Air Force, there wasn't a lot of positive feedback. There was a lot of, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. But here, you know, you make something, particularly... We, we export quite a lot to the UK. If you get you know, emails or Facebook posts from the UK or Malaysia, Ireland, it's like, wow, something we made here in Australia that's not coal is helping people on the other side of the world. So it's, I think, good for the reputation of Australia too, to some extent. And a bit of a lesson for people in social media, perhaps too, that it doesn't all have to be glowing. It's how you handle that, like you say, that people really wanted to be listened to. And learn, learn, yeah. yeah. So that listen to and, and explained in a non sort of formulaic, we hear your problem and we're particularly sorry, uh, our condolences type thing. They want to actually know what it is, be helped through it. And, and those people can be an advocate for the brand. It's business sort of 101 to when you write a, when you start your business, you mm-hmm. have a structural diagram with you at the top, you know, marketing accounts, and you, you fill every box, uh, your name. and, and the idea of expanding a business is to take as, take your name out of as many boxes as you can and just leave it in the one that you're good at. Uh, so the one that I'm good at, I think, is uh, product development. Uh, the one that I'm stuck with is uh, managing people, uh, which is really, really difficult. But pretty much everything else is done by other people that are, that are much better at it, particularly, you know, um, technology and information technology. Is, wow, it's... Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm 51, I'm just too old. So you need to trust people and have the right culture so they can do it for you. Well, I think that's, that's great to know that you had that vision right from the outset with the little tree and um, something I might have to apply with the wandering journal, hey? Yep, well, you'll need uh, someone to hold your microphone. That, that's, that's right. Yeah, microphone holder. Is it... Uh... I'll need a mechanic for the combi. <laughs> That would yeah. be great to have an on-the-road mechanic, not yeah. me. And a driver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The ignition fell out the other day. That was interesting. Came out onto the floor, but I put it back in and it worked, so that was nice. Yeah. yeah. The combis are very valuable now, aren't they? I know. So I've got to look after Mildred, the cantankerous combi. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll uh, have to introduce you to her. So where do you see yourself in a few years? Where is Mugu going from here, Craig? Uh, global domination, obviously. <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, hopefully more exporting. That would be good. I just don't know, Nance. It's the thing about business is it can come and it can go. And so you just take each day as it is. But I'd like to keep growing because it makes things more exciting for staff. Uh, they've got, you know, employment opportunities. Uh, they've got more people to work with. So I'd like to keep growing. But uh, it could all go tomorrow. If in your podcast you say, well, actually, I really hate Mugu. I think it's terrible. <laughs> and it's all over. And I yeah, have to go back to flying a plane. <laughs> And uh, where do you get your ideas for new products? Are they still evolving? That you could be a new product tomorrow? Where, where do these ideas come from? For example, when I had children, that's when all that, that was a flurry of new products for babies, you know, like a bubble wash that wasn't drying them or giving them UTI infections and things like that, a nappy, nappy cream. That caused 
a lot of new products. But anytime that people write in and say, hey, um, you know, can you do a Moogoo version of this? Uh, that's what that's when we tend to do it. So our most popular product, for example, other than the eczema cream, is the shampoo. And that was my wife had a problem with her itchy head. And then another, then the third most popular product is deodorant. And that was caused uh, because people were having lots of reactions to antiperspirant. They were getting like uh, little lumps under their armpits. Plus, it's full of aluminium, as you know. So yeah, these things come along just because there's a challenge of making them and making them different to what everybody else makes them like. It sounds like you've opened a Pandora's box and there's a bit more to come yet, I think. There is more to come, I think. Uh, that The men's range is called Brudders. Um, yeah, so B-R and then Udders. Uh, and the idea of the men's range is because so many men's ranges are given names like Axe, you know, really <laughs> macho names. And, and men, I think, particularly Australian people, we're not like that you know we're generally self-deprecating you know and like to have a joke so the men's range is going to be brothers and make fun of taking care of your skin and and hair and not like you must do this so you pull chicks (laughs) well thank you so much for joining us on streets of your town craig Uh, i should ask him to finish i usually ask people where their favorite street is where they live or if there's a part of where they live that they go to for solace or a favourite spot that they just go and reflect. Can you think of anything like that around here? Yeah, the Esplanade in Burley, but not really the, the sitting down and reflecting. It's because everybody looks so healthy along there that it really guilts you into getting out and having a walk, you know? Everybody's just power walking up there and if you're just sitting there having a beer, it, you're, you're very much out of place. So yeah, I would say the Esplanade in uh, Burley Heads, just because it's a, a fitness sort of healthy place and it's right on the beach beautiful thank you so much for joining us in the streets of your town thank you thank you for coming down that was craig jones founder and owner of australian skincare company mugu speaking to me at his gold coast factory Streets of Your Town is produced by Nance Haxton, a.k.a. The Wandering Journo, with production assistance from Michael Adams. That's it for this episode. I'm Nance Haxton. Stay up to date with the latest episode of Streets of Your Town by subscribing on your podcast app on iTunes or SoundCloud. See you next time.